In this episode, I want to look at the Andean civilizations to understand who they were. And this will include the Inca Empire, but it isn't an episode devoted to the Inca Empire. It is the entire sort of Andean civilizations as a whole. First, where were they? They stretched from the Andes of southern Colombia southwards down the Andes to Chile and northwest Argentina. So it's South America for those of you who haven't figured that out. Archaeologists believe that the Andean civilizations first developed on the narrow coastal plains of the Pacific Ocean. And here's why this civilization fascinates me, and it should you too. Due to its isolation from other civilizations, the indigenous people of the Andes had to come up with their own, often unique solution to life, environmental changes and societal changes without influence from other civilizations. For example, the Andean civilization lacked several characteristics of the old world. You know what I mean by the old world, don't you? I.e. the not the new world. New world meaning the Americas, the old world meaning everyone else. So, the first and perhaps most important was that the Andean civilizations did not have a written language. Instead, their societies used the Kupu, or Q-U-I-P-U, a system of knotted and colored strings to convey information. Few Kupus survive, and they have never really been fully deciphered. Scholars differ on whether the knotted cores of the Kupu were able only to record numerical data or could also be used for narrative communication. It was technically an alternative system of writing or communication. I see this as truly mind-bending. A way to store and share information with sound sounds like the precursor to podcasting. But rather than podcasting, people use them for collecting data, keeping records, monitoring tax obligations, and collecting census records and military stuff. The chords stored, we think, numeric and other values encoded as knots, often in a base 10 positional systems. And it could have only really, one cupu could only really have had a thousand chords. Archaeological evidence has also shown the use of finely carved wood as supplemental and perhaps sturdier base to which the color-coded chords would be attached. Sadly and unfortunately, only a few of these devices exist and have survived. Objects that can be identified unambiguously as cupus first appeared in archaeological records in the first millennium AD, though it's a probably a much, much older product than that. Some people have argued that as the region was subsumed under the Spanish Empire, the cupus were actively destroyed to be replaced by European writing and numerical systems. Just as an aside, though, knotted strings unrelated to Kipu have been used to record information by the ancient Chinese, Tibetans, and Japanese, so it was not completely exclusive to the Andeans. The Andean civilizations also lacked wheeled vehicles and draft animals. People on land traveled only by foot, and the transport of goods was only by humans or llama, pack animals which could carry loads of up to one-fourth of their weight, a maximum of 45 kg only. Llamas were not big or strong enough to be used for plowing or as riding animals for adults. 
Moreover, Andean civilizations faced severe environmental challenges. The earliest civilizations were on the hyper-arid desert coast of Peru. Agriculture was possible only with irrigation in valleys crossed by rivers coming from the high Andes, plus in a few fog oases called lomas. In the Andes, agriculture was limited by thin soils, cold climate, low or seasonal precipitation, and a scarcity of flat land. Freezing temperatures may occur in every month of the year at altitudes of more than 3,000 meters. The homeland of many of the highland Andean civilizations was that high up. And finally, the Andean civilizations lacked money. Copper axe monies and spondulous shells functioned as mediums of exchange in some areas, at least that's what we think, especially in coastal Ecuador. But most of the Andes areas had economies organized on sort of barter or just redistribution rather than money in markets. These characteristics were especially notable during the Inca Empire, but originated much earlier than that. Indeed, some scholars believe that the earliest civilizations on the Peruvian coast initially relied upon maritime resources only rather than agriculture during the formative periods of their societies. However, as in all civilizations until the late 19th century, agriculture was the primary occupation of the great majority of the population. The greatest contribution of Andean civilization to the modern world has been the plants that its people domesticated. The crops grown by the Andeans were often unique to the region. Maize, which actually found its way to the Andes from Mexico, was the often the most important crop at the lower and intermediate elevations. The Andeans cultivated an estimated 70 different plants almost as many as were cultivated all of Europe and Asia. Many of these plants are no longer cultivated, or are minor crops. But important plants, which were domesticated in or near the Andes, include stuff like potatoes, quinoa, tomatoes, chili, pepper, cotton, coca, tobacco, pineapples, peanuts, and several varieties of beans. Animals domesticated in the Andes included llamas and guinea pigs. Unlike, say, the Middle East, for example, the Andes lacked easily domesticated and large-seeded plants, such as wheat and barley, and large and easily domesticated animals, such as horses, cattle, and donkeys. Agriculture on the desert coast required the development of irrigation. In the mountains, the elevation, cold climate, and steep terrain required a range of technological solutions, such as terraces, exploitation of microclimates, and selective breeding. Due to the climatic uncertainties, farmers traditionally farmed several crops at several elevations and exposures. Okay, so now that I've gone through some backgroundy stuff, I want to talk about the various cultures that we know of, and there are a total of 10 that I'm going to talk about in this episode. And the 10 are, number one, the Carl or the Carl Supi, sometimes known as the Norte Chico. The second civilization is the Valdiva. Third is the Chavin. Four is the Nazca. Five, the Moche. Six, the Chapoyas. Seven, the Wari. Eight, the Tivanku. Nine, the Chimu. And 10, the Inca. And I know at 100% that I've 
butchered those words, and I will be butchering them throughout the rest of this episode. So early and many apologies now. Let's get started with the Karo, sometimes known as the Norte Chi. This civilization included as many as 30 major population centers in what is now the Karl region of north-central coastal Peru. The civilization flourished between the 4th and 2nd millennium BC with the formation of the first city generally dated to around 3,500 BC. And that was at the Huranca in the Fortezella area. It was from 3100 BC onwards that large-scale human settlement and communal construction became clearly apparent. That lasted until a period of decline around 1800 BC. And this has been established as the oldest known civilization in the Americas. The civilization flourished along three rivers. These river valleys each have large clusters of sites. Further south, there are several associated sites along the Urara River. The Karl Supe is a pre or was a pre ceramic culture. It completely lacked ceramics and apparently had almost no visual art. The most impressive achievement of the civilization was its monumental architecture, including large earthwork platform mounds and sunken circular plazas. The archaeological evidence suggests that the use of textile technology and possibly the worship of common deity symbols, both of which reoccur in pre Columbian Andean culture, was there. Around 1800 BC, the Karl Supe civilization began to decline, with more powerful centers appearing to the south and north along the coast, and to the east inside the belt of the Andes. The success of the irrigation-based agriculture at Karl Supe may have contributed to its being eclipsed. It emerged from the earlier Las Vegas culture, no, nothing to do with the gambling town of the same name, and thrived on the Santa Elena Peninsula near the modern-day town of Valdiva in Ecuador, between 3,500 BCE and 1,500 BCE. These individuals lived in a community that built its houses in a circular or oval around a central plaza. They were believed to have a relatively egalitarian culture of sedentary people who lived mostly off fishing, though they did some farming and occasionally hunted for deer to supplement their diet. From archaeological remains that have been found, it has been determined that these individuals, the Valdivians, cultivated maize, kidney beans, squash, cassava, chili peppers, and cotton plants, and that cotton was woven and processed and spun to make clothing. Valdivian pottery, dated to about 2700 BCE, initially was rough and practical, but it became splendid, delicate, and large over time. They generally used red and gray colors, and the polished dark red pottery is characteristic of the period. In their ceramics and stoneworks, the Valdivia culture shows a progression from the most simple to much more complex. The trademark piece is the Venus, or feminine ceramic figures. The Venus likely represented actual people as each figurine is individual and unique, as expressed in the hairstyles. The figures were made joining two rolls of clay, leaving the lower portion separated as legs and making the body and head from the top portion. The arms were usually very short and in most cases were bent towards the chest, holding the breasts or under the chin. Then we have the next culture, the Chavin culture, which is named after Chavin de Junta, the principal archaeological site at which the artifacts were found. 
The culture developed in the northern Andean highlands of Peru from about 900 BCE to about 200 BCE. It extended its influence to other civilizations along the coast. The Chavin people were in the Monsa Valley where the Monsa and Huzetia rivers merge. I butchered that, I'm sorry. Chief example of architecture is the Chavian de Hunter Temple. The temple's design shows complex innovation to adapt to the highland environment of Peru. To avoid the temples getting flooded and destroyed during the rainy season, the Chavian people created a successful drainage system. Several canals were built, and that created a roaring sound that ultimately the noise sounded like a jaguar, which they thought of as a sacred animal. The temple was built of white granite and black limestone, neither of which is found near the Chavian sites. This meant that the leaders organized many workers to bring the special materials from far away rather than use local rocks. They also may have traded from different civilizations in the area. People domesticated camelids such as llamas. Camelids were used for pack animals, for fiber, and for meat. This produced llama jerky. This product was commonly traded by camelid herders and was the main economic resource for the Chavin people. The people also successfully cultivated several crops, including potatoes, quinoa, and maize. They developed an irrigation system to assist in the growth of these crops too. Moving on now to the Nasa culture. And this was an archaeological culture that flourished from about 100 to 800 CE. This Nasa culture was in the dry southern coast of Peru in the river valleys of the Rio Grande and Ica Valley drainage systems. This was a culture that was heavily influenced by the preceding Paracas culture, which was known for extremely complex textiles. The NASA produced an array of beautiful crafts and technologies, such as the ceramics, textiles, and geoglyphs, which was most commonly known as NASA lines. They also built an impressive system of underground aqueducts that still function today. The Nasa province in the Ica region was named for these people, and it's there today. Then we move on to the Moshe civilization, or Moshe culture. This flourished in northern Peru from about 100 CE to 800 CE, during the regional development era. While this issue is a subject of some debate, certain scholars contend that the Moshe were not politically organized as a monolithic empire or state. Rather, they were likely a group of autonomous polities and shared a common elitist culture, as seen in the rich iconography and monumental architecture that do survive still today. They are particularly noted for their elaborately painted ceramics, gold work, monumental current constructions, and irrigation system. Moshe history may be broadly divided into three periods. The emergence of the culture, that's the early Moshe around 100 to 300 CE, its expansion and Florence during the Middle Moshe, 300-600, and the urban neutralization and subsequent collapse, 500-750 AD. The Chachapoyas, or the Cloud People, were another civilization that was living in the cloud forests of the Amazon regions of present-day northern Peru. The Incas ultimately conquered these individuals shortly before the arrival of the Spanish in Peru. The first firm evidence of the existence dates back to around 700 CE, although it is possible that they built a settlement called Gran Tijen somewhere between 
uh, around 200 BCE. The largest site discovered so far is at Kulap. A number of mummified burial sites have also been discovered there. The next civilization I want to mention, and I don't have that much on it, are the Wari. And they were a civilization that flourished in south-central Andes and in the coastal areas of modern Peru from about CE 500 to about CE 1000. The Tiwaikandu polity or empire was one of the most significant of the Andean civilizations. It's the next civilization that I want to talk about. Its influence extended into present-day Peru and Chile and lasted from about 600 to about 1000 AD. Its capital was the big city of Tiwaikandu located at the center of the empire's core area in the southern lake basin. This area has clear evidence for large-scale agricultural production on raised fields that probably supported the urban population of the capital at the time. The civilization was a multicultural network of powerful lineages that brought people together to build large monuments. These work feasts integrated people in powerful ceremonies and were probably the central dynamic that attracted people from hundreds of kilometers away who may have traveled there as part of a llama caravans to trade, make offerings, and honor the gods. The civilization grew into the Andes' most important pilgrimage destination and one of the continent's largest pre-Columbian cities, reaching, we believe, a maximum population of about ten to 20,000 around the year AD 800. The next civilization, the Chimu, were the residents of Chimor, with its capital at the city of Chan Chan, a large city in the Moshe Valley of present-day Peru. The culture arose around 900 CE. The Inca ruler led a campaign that conquered the Chimu around 1470 CE. And that was just 50 years before the arrival of the Spanish in the region. Consequently, Spanish chroniclers were able to record accounts of Chimu's culture from individuals who had lived before the Inca conquest. Similarly, Archaeological evidence suggests Chimur grew out of the remnants of the Moshe culture. Early Chimur pottery had some resemblance to that of the Moshe. The next and the last of the uh, civilizations we're going to talk about today is the Inca Empire, which was the largest empire in pre-Columbian America. From about 1438 to 1533, the Incas incorporated large areas of Western South America centered on the Andean Mountains using conquest and peaceful assimilation, among other methods. At its largest, the empire joined Peru, western Ecuador, western and south-central Bolivia, northwest Argentina, a large portion of what is today Chile, and the southwesternmost tip of Colombia, into a state comparable to historical empires of Eurasia. Its official language, language was Quechua. The Inca Empire was unique in that they, like many of the other Andean empires, or all of them, lacked many of the features that were associated with empires of the old world. In fact, anthropologist Gordon McGowan wrote that the Incas were able to construct one of the greatest imperial states in human history without the use of the wheel, draft animals, knowledge of iron or steel, or even a system of writing. Notable features of the Inca empire included its monumental architecture, especially stonework, extensive road networks reaching all corners of the empire, finely woven textiles, use of knotted strings for record-keeping, and communication, agricultural innovations, and production in a difficult environment. And the organization and management fostered or imposed on its people, and their labor was incredible. 
The Inca Empire functioned largely without money and without markets. Instead, exchanging goods and services was based on barter. Intriguingly, taxes did not exist. Instead, there was a labor obligations of a person to the empire. The Inca rulers, who theoretically owned the entire means of production, replied by granting access to land and goods and providing food and drink in celebratory feasts for their subjects. Many local forms of worship did exist in the empire, but the Inca leadership encouraged mostly sun worship of Itni, their sun god, and imposed its sovereignty above other cults. The Incas considered their king, the Sapa Inca, to be the son of the sun. Now the Spanish began their conquest of the Inca Empire in 1532, and it lasted until it was fully conquered in 1572. Now, I've covered a bunch of civilizations, but I didn't cover them all. There were certainly more, for example, Musica in what is now modern Venezuela. It really amazes me, and I hope you, how these civilizations came and went and existed independently of the big shots out west or east, which direction you're looking at, India, China, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Syria, or Greece. Those guys intermingled, not the Andes. They did not. To me, as I said, that is amazing. To recap and to wrap up this episode, for me, three things stand out about the Andean civilization and the Inca Empire. The Andean civilizations did not have a written language. Instead, their societies used a keyboard, this system of knotted and colored strings to convey information, which to me is beyond fascinating. They also lacked wheeled vehicles and draft animals. In other words, people on land traveled only by foot, and the transport of goods was only by humans or by llama. And number three, the Andean civilizations lacked money. And to me, this is just ultimately fascinating, because there could be a future that is based on this kind of civilization. We know that humans don't need, or even great civilizations don't need money now. We know that maybe you don't even need wheeled vehicles. And we know that maybe you don't need a written language. Maybe there's something there. Anyway, thank you for taking the time out once more for listening to this episode. Until next time, catch you soon. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.